Hope you all are doing well. It's good to see you survived the wonderful week we've had. I guess wonderful weeks. You know, we went from ice to snow, and anybody on Wednesday just get to that point, like, is it ever going to stop? Um, I mean, that was kind of me. Like, the, the weather people just frustrate me more. It's like, oh, well, tomorrow's just going to be cloudy. There's no chance of snow. And then you wake up, and you're like, what? It's still going. Um, but eventually it stopped, and it, we got sun the other day. That was nice. I've been telling everybody, so I'll just share with you all. It, it, it felt so warm compared to what it was, you know, negative 25, and you get to 35 degrees, and there's no wind chill. Our daughter, Abby, actually got bundled up, and I looked out the window a couple times, and she's just army crawling through the snow. And at one point in time, I see her rolling from one fence to the other, and the dog's just kind of looking at her like, what has happened? But she, she said, it's so warm out here. And so... Um, so that's a blessing, and uh, that you know it, it was temporary, and we are we are moving along, and I'm glad you're here. Um, but you know this week's Winter Wonderland kind of reminded me. Well, it did remind me of uh, a time I was at SBU, and I, I, I kind of date myself, and I think it, it was either 1999 or 2001. It was that winter uh, that year, so over 20 years ago when I was in college, and man, I, that makes me feel really good. Um, but I remember, see, when I was at SBU, I, I stayed in what was, is called Meyer Dorm. And at that moment in time at SBU, Meyer Dorm was considered the football player's dorm. I wasn't playing football. I, I thought about playing football, but then God directed me into the ministry. And, uh, but in, in the football dorm, it was odd that at SBU, which is, is in Bolivar, Missouri, by the way, if you didn't know, uh, Southwest Baptist University, they had a lot of football players from Texas. And as I began watching, I, I felt really bad for what was going on in Texas with the, the power and the heating and the water. But then I started thinking about the Texas boys that I knew during that winter. Because that, that winter reminded me of the one we just had. There was a ton of snow. And just picturing people in Texas. John, you, you all and Kim. I was here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just scooting along across campus. Yeah, didn't you work out in? Did a good core workout with that, John. Um, yeah, and that was the thing about Texas. These Texas boys had is like they'd never seen snow before. And so, being in college I, in Meyer, I lived on the second floor, which was the top floor. But my my dorm room had a window that overlooked the main parking lot to our dorm, and there was another dorm across the way, and then the Redford College where a lot of the ministry students went. And to watch these Texas boys drive their cars with no experience of snow was some of the greatest entertainment a college student could have because it was free, it was cheap, it was better than anything on TV at the moment. And so they would come in, they would get into their, they had trucks and Jeeps. I mean, I guess if you're in Texas, that's what you have. You have trucks and Jeeps and Suburbans. And they would get in them and they would just slam on the gas and they would just start spinning out in the snow, just digging deeper they would come around the corner at full speed and you see them begin to fishtail and like, you know, life flash before their eyes. They would uh, slam on the brakes as they're going into park and they would slide right into the sidewalk. There were so many cars stuck in our parking lot on that particular winter. I was thinking, this, this is awesome. This is just hilarious to watch these big guys who didn't have any awareness of how to deal with snow, particularly in cars. And they actually hated the cold. I mean, they were big enough that they could get the cars out of the snow, but they hated being cold because they're from Texas, that they just left their cars wherever they sat until the snow went away. Well, I had this little 
blue Dodge. It was basically a box, or not Dodge, it was, it was a, a Chevrolet. It was basically a box on wheels. And I, and, I, and I had grown up in Illinois. At that moment in time, I considered Illinois my home state. My parents still lived in Illinois at that time. And if you've never been to Illinois, um, I'll just give you a heads up. If you go in late summer, uh, early fall, Illinois, you basically feel like a rat in a maze because the corn is so high, you cannot see anything but cornfields. And so you're just driving, and you have to know where your turn is or your GPS has to be accurate so you make the right turn because otherwise you're just blind. Well, when the corn's cut down, Illinois is flat. I mean, you can see for miles, which is kind of cool when storms come because you can see storms miles away. I used to love doing that. But in winter, having flatness is not good because there's nothing to block the snow from blowing. So we had to deal with a lot of drifting in Illinois. And Illinois gets snow. I know we had snow this week, and, we're, and we were Missourians, and we were freaking out about snow. You know, I like the meme that came out where it shows like Missourians freaking out about snow, but then tornadoes come, and we're charging into them. But um, <laughs> Illinois, you had to get used to drive because I mean, it just snowed all the time, and then the snow would blow, and so you had to learn how to see where the drifts were so you wouldn't drive into those things. But that gave me experience. It gave me knowledge. It allowed me to be aware of how to deal with driving in the snow. And so as I'm watching these Texas boys at SBU and I'm just laughing and cracking up, I'm thinking, well, you know, I think I'm going to go run to Walmart. And so I go get my little blue box on wheels, slowly pull out, slowly drive up the hill and turn out and head off to Walmart. And I remember some of them in my rearview mirror just watching because these, they had Jeeps and trucks and they're all stuck in these ditches. And I'm just driving in this little, you know, four seater, a car and on my way, but it's because I had experience. I was aware how to navigate through certain circumstances. I had the knowledge and the background of my time in Illinois that enabled me to do something that they were trying to do, but they were failing miserably at. You know, I, as I look back, I, I probably, the Christian thing to do is to help them. <laughs> but it was so entertaining to watch that I just, I just went about and... and uh, well, this morning our focus is kingdom awareness, and we're going to be we're going to start in the Gospel of John, chapter four, uh, as our starting point in verses one through three, and then we're going to our main passage is going to be out of Matthew chapter four. Kingdom awareness is to be aware of what God is doing through His sovereign rule and providence. And as we look at our passage this morning, I just have to admit that I was tempted. This week, to, uh, we should probably we could skip over this passage. Um, it's one of those passages that if we're reading through the Gospel of Matthew, I'm guessing many of us probably speed read through it because there's not a whole lot happening. I mean, really, it's about Jesus moving from place to place. He only says nine words total in the entire passage. He has no miracles. He has no healings. He has no incredible messages that he delivers to the masses of people. He has no incredible illustrations that really grab our heart. But then as I was being tempted to jump over this passage, God came and, and spoke to my heart and reminded me of His Word and His truth. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. The parts we think that are eh, minor in detail, the parts we think that are boring, the parts we think that are irrelevant at times. All Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is breathed out by God, and is useful for correcting, training, rebuking, 
of righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, with that, I understood that I needed to become aware and to dig deep into this passage and what God is wanting to say to us through these verses. Uh, again, our main focus is going to be Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, but we're going to begin in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. As your mind, we're in this series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And through this series, what we're doing is we're piecing together the Gospels so we can have this incredible image, this incredible picture of Jesus' life, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, to find the meaning in how every Gospel writer who was commissioned by God to give us this Word, how they took it and how the Holy Spirit led them, but then we did all four of them and we put them together and we did some deeper insights about what is going on. Now in John chapter 4, it takes place immediately after Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, which we looked at several months ago. It precedes the events that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, where Jesus comes to Samaria and meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. But in verses 1 through 3, it really ties in to where we're looking in Matthew chapter 4. And the word of the Lord says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So the situation of John 4 is John's ministry had already gained momentum. People were flocking to John in the wilderness. They were hearing this message about repenting and preparing for the kingdom of God, preparing for the Messiah to come. And Jesus shows up one day. He gets baptized by John then goes out into the wilderness to be tempted. And after Jesus gets tempted in the wilderness, he comes back and he begins his own ministry. He has a couple of disciples with him, not all twelve with him are at this moment in time. And the ones that are with him aren't fully committed to the calling that Jesus has given them in following him. But Jesus, now returning, of course he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he is God in the flesh, he's beginning to take some of John's thunder in his ministry, and people are beginning to flock to Jesus' baptism site over John's baptism site, which causes a little bit of ruckus within John's own ministry camp, to which John points out, look guys, I was just the one who was preparing the way. This is the dude. This is the one that you want to be with. This is the one you want to listen to. This is the one who is greater than I. Matter of fact, he must become greater and I must become less. And so John is pointing to Jesus. He's trying to redirect his disciples that Jesus is the one to which they should be following. And now this causes, because people are starting to flock to Jesus so much, that the Pharisees, who once had all their attention on John, and wanted to know who he was, why are you doing what you're doing, now that Jesus is getting more publicity and more audience, the Pharisees' gaze begin to turn to Jesus. Now, many of us know how this plays out and what the Pharisees ultimately want to do to Jesus and having Him crucified and being put out of the way. But this is one of the factors which leads Jesus to leave Judea, which was in the south, and head to Galilee, which was in the north, and caused Him to go through the land of Samaria. Going from Judea to Galilee would be about a 70-mile journey. We have to keep in mind, this is by foot. You're not right. Jesus didn't have any money. He didn't have donkeys. He didn't have a wagon. You know, no cars, no planes, trains, automobiles, nothing like that. He's having to hoof it 70 miles. It's estimated in Jesus' day that a walk 
working day would be about 20 to 25 miles. So from going from the south to the north, you're looking at least a three-day journey. But we know, since we spent our last couple weeks in John chapter 4, that when Jesus comes to Samaria, he meets a Samaritan woman who's an outcast among outcasts. And he ends up spending two days within that little village of Sychar, which means that Jesus' journey lasted about five to six days. And so by piecing together the Gospels, what we're able to conclude is Jesus didn't arrive into the region of Galilee until probably the evening of the night before Sabbath. So we turn to our main passage in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, we read, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Again, Galilee would be in the north. And so here we have a second factor for Jesus' movement. John was arrested. Now Matthew, at this particular moment in time in the Gospel, is not led to, to give us the understanding on why John was arrested, but in John, or Matthew chapter 14, he goes back in time and he tells us, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. So John was not only attracting the attention of the Jewish religious leaders, now the Roman authorities are interested in this man out in the wilderness who's preaching and people are flocking to him. Well, basically what John did is he ticked off the wrong woman. Guys, you ever done that? He basically called this woman out through the Word of God and she did not like it, so she had John put in prison. We should know that Jesus did not leave Galilee because he was scared of Herod. Herod had, had authority over in Galilee as well. He had authority in the north. The reason Je Jesus would have left when John was arrested is we flip back to the Gospel of John chapter 4, and we see that John had the Pharisees' attention. But now John is out of the picture because he's in prison under a Roman authority figure. That means all the attention the Pharisees have is going to go on who? Jesus. And Jesus understood it was not his time to subdue himself to what they wanted to do to him, so he moves out of the area and heads north. John, or, so we have the Pharisees' attention on Jesus. We have the rest of John the Baptist. And another factor, which we're going to look at next week from the Gospel of John, is there is an official in the region of Galilee who has a sick son who Jesus just happens to be in the area at the time before the son dies. And so Jesus is being moved. All these factors are causing the move of Jesus to going from Nazareth to Capernaum to the territories of Zebulun and Naphtali, which you read in verse 13 and 16. Let's read that, verse 13. After leaving Nazareth, Nazareth, by the way, that's his hometown, Jesus. He went and lived in Capernaum, which is the hometown of Peter, James, John, and Andrew, by the sea. The sea is speaking of the Sea of Galilee. It was in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. People dwelling in darkness have seen a great light for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death. On them a light has dawned. One of the main factors of Jesus' movement was the Word of God. We're going to look at this prophecy, which comes from the book of Isaiah here in a moment. But it brings us to our first thing when it comes about being kingdom awareness. Kingdom awareness is to be aware of the times. 
See, Jesus was aware of all of the moving pieces that were going on around his life. He was aware of the way the Pharisees were looking at him. He was aware of John the Baptist being arrested. He was aware that there was going to be a Samaritan woman who had been struggling with relationships, struggling with her understanding of God, who was going to be at the well at the exact time he and his disciples were going to show up at that well in Samaria. He was aware that there was a man in Galilee whose son was dying who was going to need Jesus' miraculous touch and power. Now, some of Jesus' awareness comes from his deity and his equality with God. He obviously has a step up on us when it comes to that. Jesus has this understanding. He knows all things. He's aware of all things. But that does not exclude us as God's people from having a kingdom awareness of our own times. If you look into the letters of Paul and Peter and James and John, which make up the bulk of the New Testament, you find that these individuals are led by the Holy Spirit to deliver to their audience a kingdom awareness of their times. They write on being aware of why they need to go through persecution. Being aware of why there are issues within the church. Being aware of how they were to live their life as God's people in a world that was opposed to God's kingdom. In the opening of Paul's letter to the Roman believers, he begins by drawing this awareness to why people live in sin. Verse 21 of chapter 1 of Romans says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul would then go on and, and state that because such of a, a result of a way of living, and such a result of a lack of awareness of God and His kingdom, that these people were turning away from God and God was giving them up. He was handing them over to their sinful desires. But Paul wants the Roman believers to be aware, to have this kingdom aware of what is going, around and on, what is going on around them in their own city, in their own society. He does this in all of his letters. In 2 Timothy, Paul warns Timothy to pursue the godly things of life because in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Paul tells Timothy and gives him instructions that he needs to be aware that difficulties are going to exist and they are going to arise from people who are not pursuing after God in His kingdom. He writes, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And he tells Timothy, avoid such people. I read that passage, and whenever I turn on the news, I think, man, we are in the last days. Lovers of self, ungrateful, disrespectful to parents, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. The reality is, every day we wake up, we edge one day closer to the last days. That's not to be a fear factor, it's just a reality that Jesus promised He is going to come back. And all authority and all power on this planet is going to submit to His utmost authority. Paul pleaded with the Corinthian believers to be aware that the present form of this world is passing away. As God's people, we need a kingdom of awareness of what God is doing around us. To be aware of how God's authority how His rule, how His providence, meaning the way He provides for us, His sovereignty, meaning His authority over all things, how that is in place 
everywhere we are. Students, you may not see it, but God's authority, His sovereignty, His providence is active in school. College students, God's authority, His providence is active on campus, even if that campus is not a Christian campus. Adults, God's authority and His providence is active at our workplace, when we're with our peers and our co-workers. It's to be in our marriage. And we need to be aware of the time that God is moving. He is working. He is still doing a great and mighty thing. And the beauty of God's authority and us being aware of His kingdom is God is positioning us as His people to be in the right place at the right time just as He did with Jesus Christ so that He might be glorified. To have this kingdom of awareness is to know. Kingdom awareness is to be aware of the Word. The driving factor for everything that Jesus did was the Word of God. Everything. From His healings, to His preachings, to His ministry, to His ultimate return to Jerusalem, His crucifixion, resurrection, ascension to heaven, all was for the Word of God. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophecies. Not one of these, not a dot, not an iota, will fade until the end has come. Jesus came to fulfill all things because He was aware of His time. And He was aware of what God was doing. And what gave Him that awareness was the Word of God. Verse 13 of Matthew 4 says, In leaving Nazareth, again His hometown, He went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew gives us the reference. He points to the source of being Isaiah. We have to keep in mind that Matthew's original audience would have been a Jewish audience. They would have been familiar with this particular passage. It comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. This particular passage in Isaiah comes from a time when the northern kingdom, again, northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, they had been divided after the death of King Solomon. The northern kingdom of Israel had been devastated by the Assyrian Empire. Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the twelve tribes of Israel, to which their portion of the promised land was named after their tribal ancestor. These two tribes were the first two to fall in the north because of their location. The prophecy was to speak of this coming hope in a time of little hope to be found. The people of the land in Isaiah's time were living in such a way that they were feeling crushed. They were being defeated. They were burdened with such a heavy weight. The language that they were dwelling or living, sitting, remaining in darkness. They were dwelling, living, sitting, remaining in the region in the shadow of death. Darkness speaks to hardship where light is this imagery of salvation is coming, is getting ready to dawn. They were not only living in hardship, but they were living in this constant reminder that death was looming over them. There was disaster all around them. And yet it says, a light has dawned. And that light is Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And we find Jesus being moved by the Word of God to fulfill the Word of God because He is aware of the Word of God. Yes, He was the living Word that became flesh, but by His example, it shows us as God's people, we are to be moved by the guidance of God's Word. It is to lead us into action. 
It is through the Word of God to which we become kingdom aware. Aware that God is working in such a disaster. God is working in such situations where we don't have the answers for. We're wondering, where are you? He is still at work. He is still active. He promised to never leave or forsake us. We can take it to the bank every time. He is here. And to become aware of what God is doing and what God is wanting us to do, we have to be plugged into the Word. A couple years ago, I I decided I was going to take up running simply because Ethan was taking up running. And I thought, well, you know, that would be a good thing for father and son to do. And so he was in middle school at the time, and so during the summer we said we're going to start running together. And I'm happy to admit at that moment in time, he'd have to keep up with old dad. Yeah, that's changed. That didn't last long. But it, it was fun for a while. Um, but So there would be times we would run together, but then there would be times I'd have to run by myself because he'd be at school, and, and I wanted to make sure that I at least had at least one year of bragging rights. But anybody here runners? Like just for fun or exercise? Okay. So when you run, uh, do you run with headphones or just just by yourself in nature? Yeah. I tried that, and, and I just got discouraged by the concept. <laughs> and then all you hear is, and I was like, this is, this is horrible. I got to get something on. So I ended up going and buying myself uh, some Bluetooth headphones. So when I run, I have something else to listen to. I could either listen to music or podcasts. And, and so I synced it to my device, and it, and it really kind of helped me get my mind off the pain inside of me and the, the mind that was saying, you don't have to do this. You're not running from anything. You, you're, just, you're just running. But I had to sync it so everything would work together. And this is what it, it is when we become aware through the Word of God. It sinks our hearts and minds to God. We become blue-toothed in to who God is and what He is doing. That all the other distractions, they don't even disrupt what we know we're supposed to be doing. Because all we hear is His voice speaking, His voice opening our eyes and our ears to see He is at work and He is doing a good thing. There's a lot of bad stuff in this world, but God is good. It's too early in the, in the time of service. God is good all the time. And that good God is doing a good thing in this world, even when we don't see it, because we're distracted by all this other stuff. The Bible says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when we become aware of our times, even when things aren't going the way we think we should, they should. I mean, John was arrested for preaching the Word of God. Jesus left because the religious leaders didn't like him. Sometimes in our times, things don't go the way we think they should, but when we're aware of our times through the Word of God, it gives us another level of kingdom awareness. We, kingdom awareness is to beware of the people. In verses 13 through 16, Jesus is not only going to an area which was first impacted by Israel's disobedience to God in the Old Testament, but He's also going to an area which was looked down upon the upper class in Jerusalem. Jesus goes to Galilee, He goes to Nazareth, He goes to Capernaum. These were not prolific villages. These were not prolific people. 
or prolific cities. If you remember Nathanael's response to Philip, when Philip came to Nathanael and said, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Philip's response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? To be from the region of Galilee, would be thought as an individual who is uneducated and of little worth to the overall society. The religious leaders in the book of Acts, when they had Peter and John before them in this council, in this court, and Peter and John started speaking, they were baffled. They look at each other and say, aren't these people Galileans? How in the world are they so articulate? How in the world are they able to carry on a conversation that has meaning? They were baffled because to be from a Galilean was to be, if you don't like to wear, I'm sorry, be a hick. It'd be from the mountains. You, you crawl out of the woods. You shouldn't have any sort of education. You shouldn't have any knowledge. Capernaum was the largest city in the area. It rested on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Its main source of income was agriculture and fishing. And I know we, some of us may be farmers and some of us like to go fishing, but you have to remember in Bible times, that's not why you did it. As a child growing up in this society, you did not say, when I grow up, I want to be a farmer. When I grow up, I want to be a fisherman. That is, unless your daddy owned the farm or he owned the fishing boat. Otherwise, you're working for someone else, and this is not a place to excel in society. It's a place to get trapped and to continue to work until you can no longer work. We find Jesus leaving the commotion of Jerusalem and Judea to go to the downtrodden of Galilee. He left the prestigious for the despised, the educated upper class for the blue-collared lower class. He left an area full of devout and religious Jews, or at least that's what they thought they were, to go to an area through Samaria who were half-breeds to these religious elite, to go to a place of Galilee which was made of 50% Jewish people and 50% Gentile people. That's what Galilee of the Gentiles means there in verse 15. Yet when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he met with a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a religious elite. And little fruit came out of that conversation, at least initially. He leads, he goes into Samaria where these half-breed, outcast individuals who can't even go to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. And what does he see? He sees almost an entire village come to the understanding he is the Messiah. When he comes into Galilee in this region, this downtrodden, uneducated Worthless individuals. He sees much fruit in his ministry as people begin flocking to him. Jesus' movement reveals that people become more open to the gospel message the, more, the less self-reliant they are. Statistics today show that people with a higher education, greater wealth, and a plethora of possessions are less likely to accept Christ. Why? Because they have been blinded by the things of the world and they believe in the lie that this world can give them everything they need. They become self-aware instead of kingdom-aware. When Jesus moves to a place where people are living in hardship and they are open to a gospel message, a good news. Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In being kingdom aware of people, we have to be aware there are going to be hurdles for people to come to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
to accept the message of, of salvation. And we've all experienced this as people will get themselves in certain situations in life where they don't need a Savior because everything is good. But when tragedy hits, things change. You know, thinking about SBU days, uh, when I was at SBU, that's when September 11th happened. And I can remember prayer services on Wednesday being packed. Prayer services. And the Sunday after that event was packed. Because people realized no matter what they had in this life, they weren't protected from the evil that's out there. And they began flocking to God. They began flocking to His presence. When tragedy happens, people tend to turn to church and to prayer. And I know we all like to live comfortably. I like to be comfortable. But the reality is sometimes we need God to take away the comfort so we can rely on the Christ. Because even we as Christians can be tempted to be self-reliant instead of Christ-reliant. Yet our awareness of people in our time through God's Word brings us to an awareness of what people need. And that's our final thing this morning. Kingdom awareness is to beware of the message. Look in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This verse is a pretty cool verse in the Gospel of Matthew. It's actually a bookmark within the whole Gospel. It begins the second of four sections within Matthew's Gospel. The first section begins in setting up the ministry of Jesus. We have, you know, the birth of Christ, the Christmas story. We have the, the baptism and the temptation. But this verse, verse 17, launches us into the second section of Jesus' ministry, of His preaching, of His healings, and His miracles throughout Galilee and, and in parts of Judea. The third section begins in chapter 16, as Jesus begins to prepare and heads towards Jerusalem for, his, for the final time. And it begins with a very similar statement. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem. The final section of the Gospel of Matthew takes place in chapter 21 of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now going back to what Jesus preached here in verse 17, this is not the only thing that Jesus said. Can we all agree? If you don't, if you don't believe me, just turn to chapter 5 through chapter 7 and you'll see that Jesus said a whole lot more than just repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What verse 17 is doing for us as readers of the gospel is it is setting us to, to understand what we can expect to come. It is the summation of all that Jesus was going to set out to accomplish and the message we are to present as those who are aware of God's kingdom. So what is the message? What does it mean? The word repent means to change, to turn back, or to change direction. But it's not speaking about doing it physically. It's a call to change one's course of action. And Scripture reveals all actions of all people begin in the heart. So to repent is to have a change of heart toward God, which leads to a change of relationship with God. Repentance is the door to which we find forgiveness. It is the door to which the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit can be given to us, and it is the door to which eternal life can be found. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The Greek word for repentance means a change of mind, implying a rejection of past sinful ways. And repentance has to happen at the moment of salvation. You cannot be saved unless you have repented of your sins. It's a prerequisite. But as people of God, repentance doesn't end at the moment of salvation. Because as God's people, we are now aware, because of His kingdom and His word, we all wrestle with daily sins. And so a daily practice of God's people is to have daily repentance. This is why we're able to preach to the world a message of repentance, because we as God's people are practicing it daily. We understand how far we, how, how far we fall compared to the glory and holiness of God. The kingdom of heaven refers to God's sovereign rule, His ultimate authority over all things. Other times in Scripture it's referred to as the kingdom of God, and sometimes just simply the kingdom. It refers to God's presence over all things, His provision over all things, His superior reign over all things. And Jesus is going to point out this kingdom is at hand, but it reigns forever. Our God will forever reign. That's why we praise the name of Him. The message here Jesus is giving, and He's going to illustrate throughout His ministry, is you must change your mind. You must change your awareness onto God's kingdom. His sovereign rule, His providence for your life. You're only alive today because God has provided you the life for today. And Jesus says, this kingdom is at hand. It's near. Guys, it's on the horizon. The word of mine in Python, it's nigh. It's coming. And it's here. Kingdom awareness brings us to the awareness that our times are filled with people who don't know the Word of God and are needing the message of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There's a God who reigns and He loves. He sent His Son to die for the sins of the world. They placed Him in a tomb. He rose three days later. He ascended into heaven. And He delivers the promise that He is going to return to all who have repented and called upon His name as our Lord and Savior. Mark captures this same truth in a little bit different language in chapter 1, verse 15. It says, The time is fulfilled. What is that time? The prophecies that spoke of the coming Messiah. They have been fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the message we as God's people, because we have the Spirit, have been commissioned and empowered to deliver to a world that needs it. They need to know this world cannot provide what they ultimately need in life. They need God and an awareness of Him. They need to understand the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is what is captured throughout what we call the Bible. The gospel says that God created you and every individual for a relationship with Him. God wants to be in a relationship with you. God loves you. He wants you in His forever home, His kingdom, in eternity. The problem is every individual has a sin problem. That's why we have to repent. Because our sins separate us from this relationship that God wants to have with us and we get to have with Him. And this is why Jesus came. He came to pay the price for the sins of the world so that forgiveness could be found and eternal life could be given. 
We no longer are enemies of God, but we're children of God, heirs to the kingdom, all because we repent and believe in the good news. This incredible gift is for everyone. Everyone. And all begins by believing in your heart that God loves you that much. That He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins and He rose from the grave. And you not only believe it, but you are to confess it with your mouth that He is Lord. And you'll be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and that's the relationship you need to begin to become kingdom aware. Maybe as God's people, you're like me, and this week we just got distracted and blinded by all the other stuff going on. And God's just calling us to get back focused on Him. He's got it all under control. Amen? This time of invitation, I'm going to ask Nick to come up and lead us. Is Bridget coming with you? Might as well. As they come, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. Father, if there's someone here this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, who's not a child of yours, I pray that your spirit would awaken their heart to that truth, and they would walk down the aisle and let it be known. Father, you know, as God, as your children, your people, you know, there's nothing in our life that is hidden from you. There's no secret we have that you're not aware of. And you know we get distracted. You know we get self-reliant. Lord, forgive us for doing that. Help us to be so aware of your kingdom that we can't help but preach the message of your kingdom. And see how you're working all around us. Forgive us if we failed you any time as we've been in your word. We come this time in response and praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.